that's the bit that I'm trying to be really deliberate about is actually being a little bit inquisitive around some of my peers, looking at their areas and taking some of the learnings that they have and some of the challenges and how they've kind of skinned those challenges and bring them across to the sales team. So I think we're very fortunate as a business in terms of the type of people and the caliber of people that we have. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Hey, hey everyone, it's Sam here. Australia and New Zealanders' countries share a bond that could be described as a little like siblings. We love to engage in friendly banter and we also love to compete fiercely in sports and other things like who owns Russell Crowe, where a crowded house from and who invented the pavlova. In property, there are some similarities too. We both have beautiful harbours, sun-soaked beachfronts, bustling city apartments and charming countryside homes. But there are some people that might argue that New Zealand is a little bit like watching the future. So to dive into an episode of the Leadership Diaries today, my guest is Trade Me Properties Head of Sales, Gavin Lloyd. Gavin is an experienced sales professional with a knack for negotiating and has been with Trade Me now for six years. So Gavin, Kiora, welcome to the show. Kia ora, Sam. Thanks for the intro. Well, it's great to have you here and I want to know, can we settle it once and for all, who does own the pavlova? Funnily enough, I hate pavlova, so I'm pretty keen for us to own it. (laughs) (laughs) You're happy for us to own it. Yeah. The other one that springs to mind is Farlap, the Melbourne Cup winner, right? You know, that's another one that gets kind of tossed around about who owns that. So there's a few out there, isn't there? I think Farlap was actually born in New Zealand. Farlap is the equine equivalent of Russell Crowe. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. So before we get on to matters, property and other serious things, does Australia have any chance at the rugby this year or should we just forget about it and stay home? I always talk up Australia's chances because I know how good Australia is at sports, Sam, and I think Eddie Jones is definitely going to bring a bit of colour to the rugby this year, so I'm looking forward to it. We're not particularly good at the moment, I don't think so. Australia's got a great shot, but I've been saying that for a number of years and we still keep winning, but got to change at some point, unfortunately. I have a theory on that and it's a bit of a business theory. So hear me out. It's Well, it applies to business actually is that, you know, New Zealand is so good at rugby because everyone in New Zealand wants to play rugby. And I think in Australia, we've diversified too much. Like we've got, got too many football codes and you've got stars sort of going in one direction, another direction. In New Zealand, they all just want to go into rugby. So is there a business parallel there with specialization? I reckon there's a case for that. I also think with that logic, Sam, I think we're probably reaching the end of that specialization in New Zealand. We're starting to diversify a lot more. I was actually looking at some numbers last week. One of the sports that's taken off over here is basketball. Yeah, all seriousness, looking forward, the, the future is a bit of a challenge one for rugby. We may be going through what Australia's been through in the last five or 10 years where People are looking at different things, and I don't think the pathway to everyone wanting to be an all-black is as clear as it once was. Mm. Well, that's good news for us, I think, <laughs> so we've got yeah. a chance. So fingers crossed. So back to real estate, can you give us a little bit of your background and a little bit on your role as the head of sales at TradeMe? Yeah, sure, Sam. I've been around the industry for 10 or 11 years, you know, experience in marketplaces and 
that side of things, predominantly most of it in the property space. You know, so my, my role as head of sales and also head up the CX function here at Trade Me Property has really set the direction for the sales team, actively involved in where we go as a company as well. We've got a pretty lean leadership team down here. And there's probably only two or three of us that kind of make most of those decisions. So probably get pulled into a lot of product and marketing as well, given how lean we run. So got a pretty good handle on where we're going as a business and where we see the opportunity and that sort of thing. But Main function is making sure that my team are out there having good conversations with agents, empowering them to do a really good job and obviously use Trade Me Property the best of their ability. Yeah, so there's a few portals in New Zealand, but Trade Me, I think, is the biggest. What do you feel differentiates Trade Me from some of the other platforms and what are the unique advantages you think Trade Me offers to buyers, sellers, agents, etc.? Good question, Sam. What sets us apart is probably the size of our audience. We work really hard to invest and grow our audience down here. And that our audience is quite diverse. The nature of Trade Me, we have a lot of people coming to our site for various things. And we're able to interact with homeowners in different parts of, I guess, their property journey, probably a little bit better than some of our competitors can. So definitely sets us apart, the audience side of things. And, and our preference is through the roof. Eight out of 10 care, we prefer to come to Trade Me Property for their properties. So we're in a very fortunate and privileged position down here. But we don't rest on our laurels and we invest heavily in maintaining and growing that audience and looking for opportunity. Yeah, it's like that here too. I think the portals can never rest. They've always got to be working hard with agents. You know, I know both realestate.com.au and Domain are like that and they work closely with agents. Do you do a similar thing as in working closely with real estate agents to ensure their success on the platform and what sort of support things do you give your agents? It's really good, really topical point for us at the moment, Sam, and it's something that we've been reflecting on internally. I think we've kind of underestimated the role that we play within the industry a little bit, and I think there's opportunity for us to really look at the REA and domain models to start partnering more with the industry, get them involved in the direction of our business and and engaging with them a bit better. So I'd say we've done an okay job of it, but I think we've reached the point now where we're pretty clear around hey, for us to keep evolving as a business, we can offer the industry a lot and the industry can offer us a lot. So let's get a bit closer and work a bit better together because you know, I do look at some of the stuff, Domain, really good education from the economist side of things. REA have got some great tools that they leverage the awards side of things. They really champion the industry. So we have good conversations with both Domain and REA and definitely pointing our thinking to go, hey, we probably need to up our game in that space a little bit. Yeah, it is hard to keep on top of all that stuff because everything changes so rapidly. But, you know, I think our portals have both done a great job of keeping in touch with agents and helping them on the sales side of things and that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think we look at REA in particular as kind of the gold star when it comes to portals around the world. They do some really good stuff, probably a little bit further down that journey than we are. So we've got some catching up to do. Yeah. On the other hand, like, you know, as I said in my intro, Sometimes we look at New Zealand and think you guys are coming to us from the future a little bit. I don't know whether this is a coincidence or not, but we do see some of the market trends and stuff hit New Zealand first before they come to Australia. Can you give us a bit of a snapshot of what the New Zealand market has been like for the last 12 months from your perspective? That's an interesting one, Sam. I've kind of felt over the last 12 to 18 months that New Zealand has been ahead in terms of canary in the coal mine a little bit in terms of our property market probably being about six months ahead of the Australian one in terms of some of the challenges that we've gone through. I actually think that's probably changed a little bit of late. If I look at what's happening over in Australia, I think 
There's a bit more confidence around the interest rate side of things from what I can see in Australia at the moment. I think you look at property values, it probably plateaus at the moment, whereas I think we're still a little bit way to go there. I think we're a bit more of a couple of weeks, maybe a little bit more rate side of things. And I think we're still seeing the property prices come back. We haven't kind of reached the bottom of the market. So whilst I think we headed into this change off the back of some of those big numbers and sales and that sort of thing that we saw off COVID, I think one of the, my observations is Australia's flipped ahead of us. And now we're kind of looking going, oh, what's happening in Australia? That market's probably three to six months ahead of us. Yeah, I think it changed a little bit from where it was, say, 12 months ago. Yeah. Australia's got a lot of markets within markets, I would say. You can sort of say at a headline, Australia's values have come down by X or gone up by X. But in different pockets, it's very different. Do you guys experience the same thing in New Zealand? Yeah, absolutely. I talk a little bit about that. Like I think you can kind of look at the headlines and property prices are down X nationally and all that sort of thing. Certain markets are still performing well. And, you know, I use my example at the moment, trying to buy a house and upsize where we are in Auckland. And we turned up an auction and got outbid. You know? Couldn't sit there and plan out there and acting in terms of the intent. And then the result the vendor got, we thought was pretty good. So there's always exceptions out there. I think one of the markets that definitely stands out that bucks the trend for us and you know, Australian people would probably be quite well aware of it is Queenstown. I was down there about a month ago and Queenstown values have held, if not growing. That's a definite outlier for us over here and Queenstown's a real international destination for us. The people that buy property down there aren't as hit by the macroeconomic as other people. So I think we've got the same sort of things over here, Sam, where some markets are actually doing okay and others not so much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised about Queenstown. It's one of my favorite places in New Zealand, such a beautiful little corner of the world. Actually, well, we've been looking at Queenstown for Elite Retreat. So you guys, you're actually bringing some sales agents to Elite Retreat this year in Bali. Tell me about the competition you ran and how excited are these guys to be coming along? We ran a uh, bit of competition out. We called for expressions of interest and pretty loose criteria. But one of the things we did ask is, what would you look to get out of coming along to this? And it was just fantastic to see the interest that we got and the quality of responses where people are really, you know, looking at the content that you're going to provide in July, Sam, and just go, wow, I really want to be a part of that. And I think that was really encouraging for us. So we've got five top agents from around New Zealand joining us over in Bali. So we're really excited about it. But gee, the interest we got, we, we sent out the call for interest and the inbox started flooding. So it was really good. It gives us confidence that we can keep investing in this and, and hopefully this is the start of you know us bringing a larger group over next year. Or hey, if you're going to host it down in Queenstown, it'll be, the number of those people could swell even, even more. Yeah, we haven't even done this one, but we're already looking for venues for 2024. So, so interesting times. But anyway, we can't talk about the holiday yet. We're here to do an episode of the Leadership Diaries. Actually, can I just rewind that? Not a holiday, a bizcation, that's what I'm calling it. A bizcation sensation. But we're here today to do an episode of the Leadership Diaries where we ask experienced leaders such as yourself for some wisdom for up-and-coming leaders in the industry. And it's a series of questions that I ask, which is going to hopefully become a book one day, like Tim Ferriss's Tools of Titans. I'm looking forward to seeing this book about a three-year um, episode, so... Yeah, can't wait to see it get published. It's coming, I promise. But here we go. You ready? I'm ready. All right. What was your first job and what did it teach you? My very first job was I delivered newspapers. I did it for four years. And I think for me, I look back on that and go, I used to get up at 5 a.m. every morning to get them done before I headed off to school. It just grounded me with 
looking at how you've got to commit to things and getting out of bed at 5am in the middle of winter when it's pitch black and cold outside. Gee, I didn't want to do that, but I had to get up and do it. And so good bit of perseverance, resilience through that is definitely forefront for me. You know, I had to get out of bed. People were relying on me to deliver their newspaper. And if I didn't, I got a pretty nasty call at about seven o'clock when people were, they weren't going to be able to read the New Zealand Heralds. Yeah, definitely a lot of perseverance and resilience through those four years. Yeah, absolutely. What does the first hour of your day look like and how does it go after that? Are you like still a a 5am clubber or is it a bit more chill? I'm a little bit more relaxed these days. I've got a family of three girls. They are in between the ages of nine to four. So first hour of the day is probably a little bit chaotic to make sure that they're all ready and off to school and daycare and, and that sort of thing. So that's primary focus first thing in the morning is to dedicate good time to be engaged with them, to be present with them while I'm helping out. And then the next bit for me is exercise. I'm a big person that believes in exercise and the benefits for mental well-being. I would probably jump on my bike or more than often run to the office, about a 35-minute or a 40-minute run to work. And I really use that time to set myself up for the day. I'll probably put on a bit of a podcast and have a listen to trends in the industry and that sort of thing. It's good use to use that time. But I'm going through what I'm going to do during the day. I'm, I'm kind of planning out my meetings and what I need out of the day. And I think it's a really, really good way to set your day up, create some of that space where you can switch off for 30, 35 minutes. And I come into the office and I'm ready to go. So when I'm here, I'm out the door and ready to go. The other bit I'd say on that, Sam, as well, the back end of that is I also find it's a really good separation when I leave the office to kind of de-stress from the day, wash some of that stuff away and be able to kind of reflect on what you could have done better during the day. Did you handle that the best way? It's a really good reflection time. So big fan of exercise and it sets me, it sets my day up really well. Yeah, what I found, I've decided I wanted to try running again at my age and I've been doing this program called You Can Run, which I finished this morning actually. You get into a bit of a groove where the running is quite meditative. Do you find that too? I really do and I think I'm a bit old school with the running as well as Whilst I say I listen to podcasts, I also just enjoy not having anything in my ears. And I do kind of get into that state where you're just peace and relaxed and calm. I, I really do find it. It's definitely my form of meditation. So many benefits to it. It's great to hear that you finished the program, Sam. Well done. <laughs> yeah, I know. It turns out I can run. <laughs> the label was correct, but I'm still like a turtle trying to cut its way through peanut butter. I'm not that fast. Anyway, what is the most important thing you're working on right now and how are you making it happen? The most important thing that we're working on at the moment is looking at the market, Sam. We kind of talked about we're in a bit of sales volumes or record lows, that sort of thing, where as a business, we're not getting the number of listings that we would like. And obviously, the industry is the same. number of listings. So I think for us, yeah, from 1st of July to the 30th. At the moment, we're looking at that period and just going, look, what can we do differently? And what are some of the things that we need to do in the next 12 months to get a different result in the market that we've got? So a lot of that is probably looking at how we're out in market, interacting with our customers. It kind of leads to what I touched on before in terms of partnering with the industry a little bit, bit closer. I think that's a big focus for us. Looking at some of the softer skills throughout my team that we probably need in this market you know, to be able to succeed. But that's the bit at the moment for me is just going, gee, we're probably going to be in this sort of market for the next 12 months. So how are we going to adapt to make sure that we're successful coming at the back of it when hopefully, you know, we kind of go back to a bit of normality? Yeah, absolutely. Can you name someone that has had a tremendous impact on you as a leader throughout your career? person that 
kind of pops to mind here is a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Court. He's an Englishman. I worked with him. He was my sales manager. This is going back probably 20 years. And he had a real impact on my sales career. And he was so upbeat and so positive. And I think what that taught me was just the degree of confidence you get when you are looking at things through that lens. And he just had so much confidence, had confidence in me and also confidence in our product. And I think that's one of the things that's really stuck with me is that even with Trade Me Properly, we've got such a good product. We should have the confidence to go out there and talk about how great it is. He really instilled in that for me was just that confidence piece. And it's such a massive part when you're in sales because you don't get all of the deals across the line, but sometimes you can't control that. So, but to have the confidence to kind of get yourself back up and keep going and that resilience, which I touched on with the paper delivery side of things, I think they're two really, really key traits. I look at, at salespeople as that resilience and then the confidence to go the extra mile. Who are you learning from right now? We're fortunate at attracted some great people. And if I look across my peer group and my direct manager at the moment, the collaboration that we have within this business is fantastic. And I think that's one of the things that excites me about working here is being able to tap into people across different parts of the business. And I think that's one of the bits that I challenge myself on is to be a little bit nosy about things that aren't particularly in my wheelhouse. So what's happening in engineering? What are those challenges that we're having there? And working with my peers to understand that, to, I guess, kind of make sure that you are taking on board as much diversity in your thought. So I think at the moment, that's the bit that I'm trying to be really deliberate about is actually being a little bit inquisitive around some of my peers, looking at their areas and, and taking some of the learnings that they have and some of the challenges and how they've kind of skinned those challenges and bring them across to the sales team. So I think we're very fortunate as a business in terms of the type of people and the caliber of people that we have. So constantly trying to look at how I'm doing things and taking those learnings from my peers and then being able to work with our executive team as well. Some really, really good learning there and being able to, I guess, understand the direction that they see the, the business going and making sure that we've got good alignment. So We've got a really good collaborative approach as, as a business here, which enables you to be able to learn on the job a lot, which is really, really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, speaking of people, what is your favorite question to ask someone in a job interview and what does it tell you about the person? I'm probably a little bit biased here, but I love hearing about the best sales deal. What is the best deal you've done? It uncovers a lot for me because you can kind of see the passion. You know, if I sit here to tell you about the biggest deal I've done, you could see the passion and the enthusiasm that it comes because it's something I'm really, really proud of. I think it elicits a few things. It, it gives you the ability to understand how someone can tell a story. You know, storytelling is such a big part of what we do in, in our team in sales. You need to be able to tell a good story. So you're able to pick up the passion that people have for that. And I think that says a lot for people's drive and commitment. If they're truly passionate about something that they've done, you've got confidence that they're going to do that moving ahead. And then also the technique side of things. I always like to kind of ask a couple of follow-up questions, a little bit technical, just around what did you actually do in that? What was the bit? And you can kind of get a bit of reflection around that, Sam, which I think, you know, people that are able to kind of reflect generally are people that are quite keen on improving. And whilst it's quite a simplistic question, for me, it actually elicits quite a few different angles that go to a little bit more detail than just telling me about your biggest deal. I love that question, actually, because you can get a bit of an insight into their sales methodology and all sorts of things if you poke and prod around that one a little bit. So good question, I think. Okay, 
What's the best way for you to help a new employee or team member understand the culture of your business? One of the things that we do and we've brought on board is a buddy system. So what we do is a new starter, we will buddy them up with someone that's been experienced in the team and been here for a while. So they get the support from their direct manager, but they also get the support from a buddy that is at a different level and a different angle. And what we find from that, it's a real good welcome to the business because you kind of tap into that network straight away. The buddy introduces them to people within their network and that sort of thing. So we find that people are able to relax and, and buy into the culture. And I think it also embodies us as an organization where we're pretty flat here. We don't have too many egos. Everyone is quite collaborative. That embodies that. So we've had some really good success in giving people comfort that they're in this and they're part of the team rather than coming in and going, well, I've got a direct manager, but where am I kind of going? You know, like someone just helping them out, showing them where the coffee machine is, all of those sorts of basic things. It's a real good piece um, that we've added in the last couple of years. People say feedback is a gift, whether it's good or bad. How do you handle feedback when it is not what you thought it might be? The biggest thing with feedback for me, you know, as long as the intent and, and people are trying to be constructive, then I think we should all ask for feedback because unless we kind of get challenged and pushed around a little bit, we're probably not going to develop. But the intent is going to come from a good place. I think one of the things I've learned in my leadership journey is that whilst you think you're doing a good job, you've always can improve. And, and I think if you surround yourself with the right people that it can give you that sort of feedback. And you know, one of the other bits I spoke about there before is learning from peers, is making sure it's the feedback and being open to feedback from people that aren't your mates or aren't hold a similar view to you. You know, some people that are just from a different see the world and we all should have feedback around what we're doing because we should all want to improve as leaders. We should have that desire and that determination to get better and we get better for our people. So yeah, big fan of feedback. Yeah, absolutely. So change, you know, change is occurring around us more rapidly than ever. And we've experienced a lot of change with pandemics and so on in, in the last couple of years. Can you maybe share a story about a time when you had to lead a team through a crisis or a significant change and how you managed to navigate it? I think probably the biggest thing that comes to mind when it comes to navigating change is trying to be calm. I think it's really, really important that you're calm and you're measured in the way that you approach the change. I think the biggest thing that's still so fresh in a lot of people's minds here is that uncertainty leading up to COVID. New Zealand went into lockdown in March. There was lots of questions, obviously, around what was going to happen and all that sort of thing. And, you know, as a business trade me, we went through a bit of a restructure. and We've come out the other side and set ourselves up really well for the future. But that was probably the bit. It was very unsettling around job security and all of those I think as a leader, you've just got to be calm and measured in that approach. You've got to really lean into the empathy side of things. And I think that's such a core part of being a leader is to be empathetic. And I think those elements were key to leading through that change. You might be the duck in the water. You may be frantically paddling under the water, but you know, you've know you got to keep that calm demeanor. It just gives people confidence. I think it's really, really important when you're dealing with change. Yeah, good advice. This is similar to your sales question, actually. What's the most rewarding leadership experience you've had so far in your career and what made it so? Oh, it's a good question, Sam. The most rewarding, if I go back a couple of years ago in terms of where we were at as sales team, it was very fortunate to be able to build the team out. I think what was really rewarding is looking back on that change from 12 months in terms of the people we've brought in, the culture that we've been able to 
build it. And then the results that we'd got, we'd really step change some of the results that we'd been able to achieve. So I think it's bringing some of that new talent in, nurturing them and seeing them succeed. You know, that's the biggest thing for me. Fast forward three years, a couple of those people are in good leadership positions here. So seeing that development, I think, is always comes back to me as a leader. I just wanted people to reach their potential and do as much as they can for their career because that's what I want. And I think that's what everyone wants. So to be able to provide them with that opportunity. So if I go back three years, yeah, we've got some good results. But off the back of that, people have developed as salespeople and they're now holding good positions within the business, which you know I'm incredibly proud of. Yeah, absolutely. So at Elite Retreat, it's a bit of a different event in that we do have some speakers and some workshops, and then we have what's called a case study where we unpack what we've heard. And then we end with a final panel with some of the leaders that have been sitting there for a couple of days. And you have bravely agreed to be part of that panel, which is called AQ in Action or Adaptability Quotient in Action. And we'll be unpacking what some of you've learned. If you could sort of fast forward into the future, what do you hope you'll take away as a leader from Elite Retreat? I think the thing that I'm looking forward to the most is, from what I can see, the way that everyone spends a lot of time together and gets to know each other. And, you know, there's so much power in conversation. And I think from my perspective, we're coming from New Zealand. Most of the people that will be there will be from the Australian market. Gee, there's going to be some good stuff to learn from that. So I think for me, understanding where the Australian market's at, where the Australian agent's journey's at, some of those comp- the themes that were coming through around, the, I guess, the next evolution of real estate and where that might be, I think that's what excites me. And I think it accelerates potentially some of the stuff that we're thinking about here is being able to understand what's working in Australia, what's working for agents in Australia and, and that sort of thing. And then kind of being able to adapt that and bring that back to New Zealand's pretty cool. And I think that's part of the piece that, you know, the people that we've spoken to that we're bringing over, that they can't wait to tap into that. Yeah, really looking forward to asking lots of questions and getting to know people and seeing what we can bring back to New Zealand. Absolutely. It's going to be a blast. I'm pretty sure of it. Gavin, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's been great to have one of our Kiwi cousins, as we call them, share some wisdom and things like that. And I do think that we've got a lot to learn from each other, you know, in real estate and life and all of that. I always end on this one question, which is, after sharing everything that you have today, if there was one thing that you'd like people to remember, what would it be? Oh, I think probably the thing that springs to mind is about a person I look up to, John, is that positivity. And I think the market's tough at the moment. Things are challenging. And, you know, I think sometimes you can kind of get down on that. I think it's really important that people just deliberate in what they do, how they go about things, lay a really good foundation. I think now's a good time to lay a really good foundation for future success and just stay positive about times might be tough, but things will change and you just got to be in the position to make the most of when it does change. So I think positivity is probably the biggest thing for me at the moment. Doing what you can do, lay the foundations and when things come back, we're all going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. Gavin Lloyd, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Sam. Really enjoyed chatting. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com. 